different during the summer. Our school out of we're doing different, a different kind of study. We're doing study on comparative faith, comparative religion. Uh, we've already finished the one on Mormonism. So if you would like to have information or hear those sermons on Mormonism, you go online, the church's website, go to sermons, and they're right there. You can listen to them. If you'd like the, the outlines and the, the uh, material that was used, the quotes and stuff like that, you can get a hold of the church office, and Donna will be glad to get you those quotes. She has all the material there for that. Uh, so we've done Mormonism and the difference and distinction between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. And, and the goal here is not to touch on every religion this summer, be an impossibility, uh, but to touch on the major religions that are affecting our Affecting, not impact, well, affecting, affecting our, our lives. And uh, so tonight we're going to look, begin to look at uh, one that's pretty prominent in the United States. It is an American religion, just like Mormonism started out as an American religion. It is a religion known as the Jehovah Witnesses. And uh, you probably know these people as those who offer you the Watchtower and the Awake magazine. Uh, they have a, a strong emphasis in their in their in their belief system uh, that uh, uh, that this world will be renewed and we will dwell on this earth forever. Uh, they don't look for a, a heavenly home, uh, except for a, for a special few. There's a distinct number that you actually find in the Bible, and that number would be the number 144,000. Now, Russell, who was their prophet, the original prophet, taught that the end of the world would happen. And the renewal began to happen you know, in the early 1900s. Of course, his prophecy was wrong. And the problem with that is that now his numbers are all messed up because it was, it was, it was reasonable to challenge people to be one of the 144,000 when you were a small number of people. But now that we've gone all the way up, you know, almost a whole century, uh, by their own faith, some that are making it into the 144,000 now are bumping off some that had already made it into the 144,000. But they haven't done enough. So it, it actually becomes a competition, if you will, to end up being one of the 140,000. A few years ago, because uh, they were being challenged by those they went and shared their faith with concerning what the Bible said, concerning uh, particularly their, their belief system, you'll know, you'll know them for stuff like they don't salute flags, they don't, they don't make pledges, they don't celebrate holidays, they do not do blood transfusions, we can go around down the line of many things that they do, do not do. But the thing that really makes them distinctive and distinctive and cultish in nature is their theology. Not all these little side things. And their main theology that, that that they stand in and they call themselves Jehovah's Witness, they believe they are monotheistic. Now remember, as we talked about the Mormons, they were what? Not monotheistic. They, they, they were polytheistic. They believed in many gods, including that, that if you were a good enough Mormon and went through all the steps, you eventually could obtain Godhood. The, the Mormons would believe that, that God was ever developing and evolving, if you would, discovered in our theology. Uh, that is not true of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are... are I guess if you find one group that's diametrically opposed to what the Mormons taught, it would be the Jehovah Witness when it comes to this, because they believe they're monotheistic. They believe that there is only God. They call, they say that his name is Jehovah. Unfortunately, that's a misnomer too, because the name, the word Jehovah and the name Jehovah is not in the Bible at all either. It's an interesting thing. Uh, the word that, that they use for Jehovah is the, the Hebrew word that we get the term or the, or the name Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh always refers to the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. 
And that gives a great problem to their theology because they would say that Jehovah or Yahweh was the one true and only God and that, that is his name. I am, they would say, his name, Yahweh. Okay, or Jehovah, they would use Yahweh and Jehovah. So, in that being true, they denied some, some of the crucial teachings of the scripture. First of all, they would deny the Trinity. And so they would deny that Jesus is God. So they denied the divinity of Jesus Christ. They also would deny the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And when the word spirit is used in their text, they want to say that it is just the spirit of Yahweh. In other words, it's, uh, it's his movement in your life. It's not a distinct person of the God that had it, as we believe the Bible teaches. It's completely different, okay? Uh, so uh, there, there is the, the, the denial of the Trinity in this whole faith. Uh, and because they had a lot of trouble with a lot of scriptures that, that we could take them, that you could actually take them to in, in, in a proper translation and show them easily, clearly and easily, that Jesus Christ is God, they established their own translation. And so their translation, the translation of Jehovah is, is the New World Translation of the Bible. It is actually, and I'm not, I'm not shy about saying this, it is after the new world adulteration of the scripture. It is not scripture. Now, is the scripture found in it? Yeah, because there are, some, there are some verses that they left alone. But there are many verses that they have changed to fit into their theology. And the main verse I'm going to use tonight, just to draw attention to this, is John chapter 1. So take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. And you'll remember what I told you as we began our study of these comparative religions. There's one primary question that you have to ask as a Bible-believing Christian. There are a lot of side issues, even within the Orthodox Church. I mean, we don't agree completely with our charismatic brothers or Pentecostal brothers, and we don't, we don't agree com- completely with them on certain things. But we hold those as maybe in-house arguments, debates, discussions. All right? Uh, but... There's one question I, that I share with you that you ask any group, and you can determine whether or not they are, they are founded on, on at least the biblical basis of truth. And that question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is he, and what did he do? Who is he, and what did he do? And that becomes a distinction. And Jesus said that he is the cornerstone, and he is the sure foundation. And any house that's built on anything, any other foundation other than him, will not stand. So if you have that information wrong about who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished, then you've got, you've got issues in, your, in your, your faith system. So here's what John is inspired by God to write about, about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what he said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So very clearly, what's he state there? This is so important. In the beginning was the Word. You know what that, that, that term means? When everything started, whenever that was, who knows when that was? People calculate when they believe the beginning of creation is, but we're talking about the beginning of the beginning. And whenever that was, John says the Word was already there. Okay? Whenever that was, John says that the Word was already And here's what else he says about the Word. And the Word was with God. 
So before anything ever existed in the beginning, the Word was there, and the Word was with God, which is an interesting term. Now, let me remind you something about Greek. Greek is very exact. Hebrew, the language, Hebrew language is more of a picturesque language. But Greek is very exact. So, so, so each, of the, each of the prepositions, each of the, whatever you call them, articles, all those things are very important in Greek. Greek is a pain. It was not fun. But, but it's very exact. And it, it actually starts out easy, and then it just gets harder and harder as you go into it. Remember that, William? Okay. okay. So, it says, he makes it very, and the word was with God. Now, to be with something or someone, there has to be a distinction between. Would you agree? If I'm with someone, if I'm with my wife, my wife and I are not, there's a distinction between. And a lot of you know there's a lot of good distinctions between. She's nice and I'm mean type. So, so the Word was with God, and then it says this, and the Word was God. Now, that's a very, very, very strong statement. It's a strong statement that you cannot get around unless you're willing to change the statement itself. And we'll talk about that when we get to that statement in just a few moments. Okay? Now, so, what do we know about the Word? The Word was there in the beginning. Whenever the beginning was, the Word was there. What else do we know about the Word? The Word was with God. So, in the same time, in the same presence, I would say in the same person, because the next thing he says is this. And the Word was God. But because he says with, there's a distinction made there. Okay? So how do we know? We know that about the word. So who's the word? Go down to verse 14. I love this verse. What does it say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Okay? Full of grace and truth. So the word did what? The, call this the incarnation. The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Who is the Word that He's speaking about here? We know, we know His name to be Jesus. He is God who became flesh. He's the Word who became flesh. He's God who dwelt among us. Fulfilling another verse that we'll look at where He says, You shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay? Not just a great man, not just a great prophet, not a great teacher, not a great healer, not even just Messiah. Yes, he is Messiah, and yes, he is all those things, but he's not just those things. Because a Jehovah Witness would tell you they believe Jesus to be Savior. Okay, now they have a whole lot of other things to go along with what they consider to be salvation, but they would consider Jesus. They don't have any problem with you calling Jesus Savior. Okay, just the same way that the Mormons had no trouble with you calling Jesus Savior. And most groups don't have any problem, unless they deny the need for salvation altogether, of any form, of saying that Jesus is a part of a process of salvation. Okay? So if you talk to a Jehovah Witness and they, they, you, try to them, you guys don't believe Jesus is Savior, he'll tell you, yes, we do. But the distinction is that they don't believe Jesus to be Savior who is God, God, literal, eternal God who came in the flesh to be our Savior. That's what John teaches. And this is the, this is, you say this is important? This is huge. It's huge. I would say to you that if your Savior is not God, you don't have a Savior at all. If your Savior, if who you profess to be your Savior is not 
100% God, 100% man, one who came in, in the flesh, in the incarnation, and lived a perfect life, and kept the commandments of his Father, and walked by the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and then willingly went to the cross, died upon that cross, suffered the torment and the punishment of his own Father being poured out on him because of our sin, dying upon that cross as a man, shedding his blood as a man, being put into the tomb, and three days later, raising himself from the dead, because he could do that because he is not only the creator of life, he is life itself, then you don't have a Savior. You can call him Jesus all day long. I hope you got that when we went through Mormonism. The name Jesus, there are many Jesuses out there. Okay? The question is not, who do you believe? Uh, that's what we get to people. What do you believe Jesus believes? Who do you believe Jesus believes? Well, that can be just an exercise of futility. What? Jesus is this to me. Jesus is this to me. No. Jesus is Jesus. Now, he may affect you in different ways. He certainly does in your life. But who he is, is who he is. And you can't make him into someone who he is not. And have the same Jesus. Most of us would be insulted if someone tried to do that with us. They tried to make you into something. Oh, that's called marriage, right?
take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 48. And I didn't give this to, to Kathy, so I don't know if it'll be up there. She's pretty quick, so we'll see. Isaiah 48. And one of the things, if you've been in my classes during the week, if you guys should do like go through Ezekiel and Isaiah and all that, and Revelation, what I always do, what I always do is when I see a passage that refers to the Trinity, I always point it out to you. Because that one thing Jehovah's Witness will say to you is this, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And you know what? They're right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Nowhere. Not one place. But the concept of Trinity, the God, is all throughout the Scripture. The, the word Trinity we just use to describe the doctrine. So, I mean, it's kind of a fallacy to say, well, the word's not there, so it's not there. No, the, the doctrine is all throughout the Scripture. So anytime I see it, I like to point out, we did it in the creation, remember? God said, let us make man in our own image. Who's the us? So I'm not talking about the angels there. Okay? So here in Isaiah chapter 48, and, and look at verse 16. And here's what he said. He said, come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. So who do we have here? What's it say? Look at verse 16. And now it says, Come near to me. Who's speaking here? I would tell you who's speaking here is Yahweh, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? And He says, Come near to me. Hear this. Have I not spoken in secret from when? From the beginning. Again, the statement that Jesus was there. When everything began, Jesus was there. And then he goes on to say, from that time that it was, I was there. And now look at, look, now, now here's, there's Jesus. Now I want you to see the Trinity. Look what it says. And now the Lord God, the Father, and His Spirit, His Spirit, have what? Sent me. Okay? Thus says, who? The Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now that word Lord is capital L, smaller capital O-R-D, that voice translated Yahweh. So it would read this way. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus refers to His Father in this passage. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in this passage. You have here in this passage, chapter 48 of Isaiah, verse 60 and 70, you have the Trinity. Okay? So, you don't have it there, but let's see what the New World Translation said. And then I'm going to try to move to this other very quickly, because I know I could get caught up in a lot of different things if you go through this. Okay? Isaiah 48, verse 16 and 17. And you might want to follow along. Your translation just follow along to see how, how closely it... it, uh, it uh, that mirrors what, what they said. It says, Come near to me, you people. Hear this. From the start, I have spoken in no place of concealment at all. Quite a difference there. From the start of what? Okay? Alright? From the time of its occurring, I have been there. And now the sovereign Lord Jehovah himself has sent me, even his spirit. This is what Jehovah has said, your Redeemer. Of your repurchaser, that's, how you, that's the word you use, don't use redeemer, you repurchaser, the Holy One of Israel, I, Jehovah, am your God, the one teaching you to benefit yourself, the one causing you to tread in the way in which you have, which you should walk. You notice what they've done there. 
They've taken the emphasis off of the one being sent, the one who's speaking in the original translation, which is Christ speaking, and talking about the fact that he was sent by the Father and has the Spirit with him, and put all the emphasis in their translation on Jehovah alone. If you read their translation, you get no sense of Christ. Do you? You get certainly get no sense of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they do not believe that Christ and the Holy Spirit are not. They deny the Trinity completely. Okay? Right, now let's look at your, your folder. I just want to add that one to you. It's one of my favorite verses when someone says, where, does, where in the Old Testament do you find the Trinity? Right there. Okay? Now Isaiah 7, 4. You're very familiar with this. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. If you, and, and I've already made this statement. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Okay? Now here's what the Jehovah Witnesses write in their translation. Therefore Jehovah himself will give you, you men a sign. Look, the maiden herself will actually become pregnant. And she is giving birth to a son, and she will certainly call his name Emmanuel. They say, well, I don't see a big distinction there. Well, there's a couple of distinctions there. First of all, the things that are the same, they choose to use, continue to use the name Emmanuel. Okay? Which I think is a, is a mistake on their part. But, but not just that, but notice what they choose to do. They choose to turn the virgin, or, or the understanding of the virgin, into a young baby. Now, I know that the term Alma in, in, in the Hebrew can be translated young maiden. And as a matter of fact, some of our translations, some what we would some consider legitimate translations, would be young maiden. But I think I think it is a it, it, it is a from my view, it is a smoke screen there. Because the idea of a young maiden is that she would be a virgin. From a biblical perspective. Because if she was not a virgin, she would not be called a young baby. There, there are other descriptive terms that were given in the Old Testament for those who were not a virgin in that sense. Okay? So, but, but you have, you would have a denial and a total witness of the, of the conception of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That he is the Son of God who took on flesh. We've already talked about that incarnation. And even their passages here would say that this young baby pretty much found herself pregnant. It's almost what their terminology speaks of. Okay? She found herself pregnant. And she was going to give birth to a son. And they'll call that son Emmanuel. A little bit different flavor than what, what, the, what the, 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 the biblical translator says. The virgin shall be with child. And she, shall conceive, she will conceive a son. And you will call her name Emmanuel. I call his name Emmanuel. And remember elsewhere he said... And in the New Testament, the, the angel said, and he will be the son of the Most High God. Okay? So, a clear distinction there when it comes to that. Okay? That's pretty subtle, but it's there. And there is a change in what the translation said. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Which I find, which I find to be a, a pretty similar text, which I think they would have trouble with. But here's what it says, New King James. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, that is one of the verses that we hold real tight to that teaches 
the deity of Jesus Christ. Right? Who would you call the everlasting Father except for God? Their translation. For there has been a child born to us, there has been a son given to us, and the princely rule will come to be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so I, I give you that verse because it's, a very, it's very similar. Remember this in biblical times when it says his name was to be called. It doesn't mean that that was his name that you would see on his birth certificate. It means that's who he is. When the, when the, when the, they wrote these names these, in, the, in a biblical language, they, were talk, they, they described the person. You know, you shall call, one of the angels said, you shall call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Because the word Jesus or Yeshua or Joshua means Savior. You will call him Emmanuel, or it means God with us. So when you have this list of names here, what Isaiah is trying to help us see is 